hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, episode 10, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody at home and around the world, I just want to get into the show today because, truth be told, I am very pissed off. I am very irritated, um, and I really want to start talking about this topic to kind of vet the anger that I've been feeling pretty much since about 12 o'clock yesterday when this news broke earlier. It might even have been earlier in the day, but I want to start talking about it. Uh, I want to get into it because I feel like this needs to be discussed, this needs to be shared with everybody, uh, and a conversation needs to be started. And it's not often that I come on the show feeling very pissed off. I tried to have this show be, you know, a really happy show with 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 great analysis and you know maybe some funny takes here or there, but something that's that logical analysis um, and and really good takes. Some of them hot, some of them not. But the the objective of this show is to mostly always be, you know, have a positive, fun, lighthearted feeling on it, despite. Maybe some negative topics sometimes and some pessimistic opinions. But today we're going to be talking about something that is very, I guess the word is disgusting. Uh, so if, if any of you are squeamish, if any of you don't like listening to nasty things, I would encourage you to maybe fast forward about 15 minutes in the podcast. But uh, we're going to talk about the Chad Wheeler situation um, something that has gotten me riled up. It's gotten a lot of people riled up, and I think it deserves to be talked about. And. Um, some things need to be said, and some of them are not very pretty. I'm going to try and keep myself at a PG level here. I, I try not to curse on the show. I try not to talk about things like this. I try to avoid them, but again, this is something that I feel like I can't avoid and that I need to talk about. So, um, former offensive, uh, former Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman, and former by literally the hair on his chin, like he was released about three weeks ago uh, when the Seattle Seahawks were bounced from the NFL playoffs. Um, so former, barely, barely former uh, Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman Chad Wheeler was arrested on early on Saturday. The, the thing that blows my mind is this actually happened on Saturday of last week, almost an entire week ago before the news was um, fully developed and broken on national TV over uh, the course of Wednesday and Thursday. But last Saturday, Chad Wheeler, Chad Wheeler was arrested with domestic assault, first degree uh, domestic assault, uh, resisting arrest and some other things here or there for beating his girlfriend. Um, he asked his girlfriend to bow down to him, and when she refused, and again, if all of you are squeamish about the details, fast forward about 10 minutes, skip the segment in its entirety, uh, but I encourage you not to because I feel people need to be know what's been done here. Uh, he asked his girlfriend, who is a, a woman of color, by the way, he is white, she is black, he asked his girlfriend to bow down to him, and when she refused, he beat her to the inch of her life, within an inch of her life, um, she, he dislocated her elbow and choked her twice until she was unconscious. So she, he choked her until she went unconscious. She regained consciousness and then he choked her again. And then the second time that he, that she regained consciousness, he came into the room and said, oh, wow, you're still alive. <laughs> you're still alive. Um, and then she ran into the bathroom, called the police, called uh, friends and family, 
uh, texted Chad Wheeler's father to which reports saying that he was actually on the phone with his father trying to downplay everything while she was in the bathroom. The police were called. The police forced their way in. He resisted arrest. He uh, also withstood a, a, a taser electric shock. So uh, they tried to tase him in which he's like a 6'7", 310-pound lineman. So um, he pretty easily withstood that electric shock. And uh, he was taken to jail and then released on $400,000 bond. And now here we are with uh, uh, a girl that was in critical condition for a while. Her face beaten to a bloody pulp. Her arm dislocated, her elbow dislocated. And this woman traumatized. And such an important detail is that when, you know, the officers were interviewing this woman as to what happened the officer asked did you think that he was trying to kill you and she said uh or 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 he he asked something along the lines of did you think that you were going to die and she said i thought i already had i thought i already had this the and 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 the, the seattle seahawks issued a statement about this they said the seahawks are saddened you're saddened. <laughs> You're saddened by the details. You're not disgusted, horrified. You're saddened by it. The Seahawks are saddened by the details emerging against Chad Wheeler and strongly condemn this act of domestic violence arrest. This this isn't domestic this isn't domestic violence. This is more like attempted murder. He was trying to kill her. Well, he was trying to kill her. Um the Seattle Seahawks are saddened by the details emerging against Chad Wheeler and strongly condemn this act of domestic violence arrest. Our thoughts and support are with the victim. Chad is free agent and no longer with the team. We encourage Chad to get the help he needs. Uh, if you are experiencing mental health issues, please reach out for help. And they 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 posted the suicide prevention hotline and they also uh, gave the phone number, the, the hotline for domestic abuse. <laughs> They're saddened by it. What a weak-ass statement. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to try and keep this PG. What a weak statement from the Seattle Seahawks. Um, now, the reason that this is is a little bit complicated and something that's, that's more of a hot topic and more gray area than it just being black and white this this the, instead of instead of the storyline being this football player tried to kill this woman. Unfortunately, it's more of a gray area than that. The story is this bipolar, mental, mentally ill man tried to tried to hurt his girlfriend and did hurt his girlfriend. Reportedly, Chad Wheeler was bipolar and he was not taking his medication, which is what started this, which he is classifying and he is claiming is a manic episode. Now, am I denying that he was having a manic episode? No. Uh, and you know, it's not my area of expertise. I don't know specifically what does and what does not trigger violence, especially when it comes to bipolar disorder. I don't know if that makes you abusive. I don't know if it makes you violent. I don't know what the statistics are, but for me, it, it, the thing that pisses me off so much and the reason that I'm coming on to, the, to this episode of the podcast with such flaming fire coming and spitting out of my mouth, you know, such anger, such venom is the fact that mental health is, I don't want to say being used as a cop-out, 
but it's really distracting from the fact that this woman was near was nearly killed by this man and mental health is 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 the only thing that's creating any doubt that that is what happened black and white let me make this very clear chad wheeler was off his medication that gives him absolutely zero excuses for what he was doing if this manic episode happened while he was still taking his medication every single day okay it doesn't make anything that happened any less disturbing or disgusting but you can say well he was on his medication and his medication failed him and that would be the only small silver lining in the situation of this horribly disturbing thing that happened but he was not on his medication he was off his medication and the fact that she was black and he was white the things that he asked her to do and which she declined could classify this more as more than just domestic assault you can classify it as a hate crime and you should be classifying it you should be thinking of it as attempted murder because the reality is is that that's what it was he choked her to unconsciousness to the point of unconsciousness twice dislocated her elbow and came in after she regained consciousness the second time and said oh you're still alive I don't care. I don't. I don't know where the the manic episode ends. I don't know when the the brain snaps back into reality. But if he was not in reality at that point, or if rather, if his manic episode was over and he still comes in and says, "Oh, you're still alive," that man, the 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 person the that was in the manic state was trying to kill that person. And I'm sorry, if you're off your medication, that gives you absolutely no excuse. No excuse. This is attempted murder. Chad Wheeler should be in jail for a very long time. And the Seattle Seahawks should absolutely be ashamed. And I know that, you know, the start of the segment was a little choppy because I am. I am very upset. I'm very pissed off about this. I've struggled with mental health issues. I've, I, mental health issues, anxiety, depression specifically have affected my life, especially within the last year and a half. I understand how mental health can affect you, but when I see mental health being a, a part of something like this, it, it makes me upset because mental health should not only be checked much more fervently by the NFL, but mental health should should not be the one thing that is removing or, or 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 mental health should not be the one thing that is placing doubt on the true motives of what Chad Wheeler did that is why this makes me upset and and also what the Seattle Seahawks play part is and this also pisses me off the Seattle Seahawks are saddened by what happened not disgusted not disturbed not sick to their not sick to their stomachs they're saddened by it and they say and they say yeah our thoughts and, and and well wishes go out to the victim but then they say let's help chad get the or we hope that chad gets the help that he needs as in if he is mentally ill sure yes he has bipolar disorder yes that's a mental health case but he was not taking his medication again once you forfeit 
once you stop taking your medication, you forfeit your right to use mental health as an excuse. This is your fault for not taking your medication. We encourage Chad to get the help that he needs. He should be in jail for a long time <laughs> or in a psychiatric or psychiatric ward. Encourage him to get the help that he needs. I can't believe that. They're saddened by it. They're saddened by what happened. And you know, the thing is, is that it's not the first time that the Seattle Seahawks have have played loose with players that have had domestic assault and domestic violence histories. Because this isn't this isn't the first time that something like this has happened with Chad Wheeler. While he was uni at University of Southern Carif California, uh, USC Trojans, police were called and he was arrested. Um, I don't know. It was a felony charge or some kind. Uh, I don't know exactly how the law interprets this, but he was uh, beating hole. He was punching holes in walls and through windows with uh, a 20 year old woman and her child in the same room. And the police were called and he was arrested. The NFL needs to do better checks. They need to do better with analyzing the 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 psych the, the psychology of players, analyzing the mind of players. And it's incredible to me that they haven't, you know, enforced stricter uh, mental health and um, uh, stri stricter regulations on things like this. Because especially with the the rise of CTE, especially with the rise of mental health in the past couple of years, it's it's incredible to me that there's not more regulations in place to keep players or keep people like this out of the NFL. Now back to the Seattle Seahawks. This, is a, this isn't the first time they've played loose with, with players with domestic violence history. They drafted Frank Clark in the second round of the 2013, or no, it was, excuse me, the 2014 NFL draft, something like that. And uh, Frank Clark was charged with domestic abuse where he beat his, girl, he beat his girlfriend in a Michigan hotel uh, in front of her two siblings. And uh, that was enough to get him dismissed from the Michigan football team, but not enough apparently to uh, keep the Seattle Seahawks from drafting him. I'm just sick. I'm just sick to my stomach. The Seattle Seahawks. I'm ashamed. I, I they should be ashamed. They should be disgusted. But uh, no, apparently they're just saddened by what happened. Mental health, mental health should not be a cop-out in this situation. He was not taking his medication. He has no excuses. And, you know, this wouldn't be really, uh, uh, again, I, I, I say this wouldn't be such a gray area issue if mental health wasn't a rising topic in the world today. When Ray Rice hit his fiance in an elevator, mental health was not questioned once. He just assaulted his fiance in an elevator. When, when Kareem Hunt kicked a woman in a hotel lobby... Mental health wasn't asked. But now in a world in which we are in a global pandemic, mental health is a rising topic. It's rising in awareness. And, and Chad Wheeler just so happens to have bipolar disorder. Now mental health is a, is a part of this. And it really shouldn't be. Because he, would, he, would, he went without his medication... And uh, he has no excuses for that. He went without his medication, and now mental health is the only thing that's making this a gray area issue when it should be black and white. He attempted to murder his girlfriend. It makes me sick to my stomach. Absolutely horrible. 
Now, if you want to look into this further, I encourage you. There are photos on the internet, if you wish to go looking for them, of, of um, the damage that was done to this woman. And it's a shame, too. She's an incredibly beautiful woman, too. Take a look at her, you know, her picture, you know, smiling, and then you take a picture, a look at the picture of what he did to her. This is to not, this is not domestic abuse. This was attempted murder, and I will stand by that, and I think a lot of people stand by it. Hell, you could even make it a borderline hate crime, considering the fact of what he asked from her. Absolutely disgusting. Horrible. <sighs> okay. I think I got all of that out of my system. I'm going to have to go back and edit that for the YouTube uh, highlight that comes afterwards because it was incredibly disjointed. But I I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I had to talk about that. I had to get the anger out of my heart. Um, just absolutely horrible what happened there. So now we can move on to maybe some happier things. <laughs> Somewhat happier things on a Friday. I hope you guys have had a good week. But... I feel like I need to I feel like I need to restart the show over because that I came out with like a blazing fury and now I like I want to start over and 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 you know basically reset the mood because what hard-headed sports is is it's hard-headed opinions some hot takes here or there but with a fun analytical attitude predicated on my experience in the sports world that's what this show is uh, and I feel like it was starting off like that, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> just come out with a blazing fire. You got to reset yourself. So let's reset ourselves. Look, and I feel like I should do the intro over like, hello, all you hardheads. Good morning. Good afternoon. Yada, yada, yada. Welcome to Hardhead Sports Podcast, episode 10, blah, 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 blah. you know, all that stuff. <clears throat> let's talk about the David Coley hire for uh, the Houston Texans. The Texans hired Ravens assistant head coach David Coley as their new head coach. Uh, over uh, the the course of the week, uh, David Coley having 27 years of NFL experience uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their wide receiver coach. The Steelers is their wide receiver coach. Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver coach uh, and the senior offensive assistant. He was with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2013 through 2016 uh, as the assistant head coach and wide receiver coach. He was with the Buffalo Bills as the quarterback coach. And he was the Baltimore Ravens assistant head coach, wide receiver coach, and passing game coordinator this past season. Uh, 27 years of experience. Again, finished uh, his most recent tenure with the Baltimore Ravens as their passing game coordinator. The Ravens had the worst passing offense in the league this year. Uh, and David Coley has never held a coordinator's position um, or any position over an assistant head coach prior to getting this head coaching job. Uh, did Eric Bieniemy just die? <laughs> did he? Did I miss that headline? Like, is Eric Bieniemy dead or missing? Is is he missing out there somewhere? Because I, you know, no discredit to David Cauley. Twenty seven years of experience is more than enough to land you a head coaching position. But did I? I I I am so dumbfounded by the fact that Eric Bieniemy did not get the Texas job and more so and this is kind of the over overarching theme I'm so surprised that Eric Bieniemy didn't get a job period a head coaching job period in the NFL this offseason now I, I understand the fact of okay teams may not want to interview somebody that is still in the playoffs still excuse me he was still working uh currently but for me that's not justice justice enough for why Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a job uh, in the uh, head coaching job in the NFL. Now, sure, the knock on Eric Bieniemy, uh, and of course, Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
The knock on Biennemi is that he doesn't call the plays in Kansas City, but Andy Reid and Andy Reid does. But regardless, it takes two to tango, ladies and gentlemen. The offense is still hugely, widely influenced by Eric Bieniemy, And even if it, he's not calling the plays, him and Andy Reid do a lot of work and have perfected a Kansas City Chiefs offense that has been historically great. Historically great the past two seasons. I am dumbfounded as to why that in its, in of itself hasn't landed Eric Bieniemy the job because that only shows me that he knows how to work and 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 tweak and fine tune an offense with especially with uh, with the length of the tenure that he's had in Kansas City. But it also shows to me that not only can he do that, but he can work with others. He can work with players coming in and out. He can work with coaches coming in and out. And that is exactly what the Houston Texans needed. It's somebody that can work with everybody in and out, understands how to get the best out of an offense, understands essentially how to keep everybody together. Now, again, this isn't an indictment of David Culley. David Culley could, for all we know, be a really great head coach. But <laughs> I, I don't understand the hire uh, for, for the reason that, you know, if if you were going to try and make a play to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston, you would have needed to hire somebody like Eric Bieniemy. And I feel like the Texans hiring David Coley was the final straw. Uh, not not necessarily the final straw, because definitely the the straw that broke the camel's back was 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 had weeks ago. But the thing that and maybe it was just coincidental timing, but the thing that finally pushed Watson to officially request a trade was the hiring of David Culley, who, you know, maybe Watson likes Culley, maybe he doesn't, but I imagine that he probably was like, really? A Ravens assistant head coach hasn't held a coordinator position. The most he's been is is wide receivers coach and quarterback coach in, in, in a couple of different franchises. That's the guy that you hire? No, I'm out of here, you know? Now, for, to 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 David Culley's credit, and and I feel I feel horrible for Culley on this because he is walking into a dumpster fire for his first NFL head coaching job. Like the 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 2021 Houston Texans head coach opening has got to be the most unappealing job, at least since I've been alive in the NFL. I cannot think apart from maybe like the Detroit Lions and in the 2009 season or the Cleveland Browns over the past decade, I can't think of a single head coaching job that is as unappealing as the Houston Texans job is right now uh, in the NFL. I feel bad that Cully had to take the job, and and let me be clear: as much as I'm as much as I'm dumbfounded uh, that Eric Bieniemy didn't get the job, and I'm dumbfounded that Eric Bieniemy didn't get a job. Period. This offseason, in in this offseason's you know coaching carousel, I want to be clear that Eric Bieniemy would have a tough time in Houston too. I mean, it's not like Eric Bieniemy is the end all be all of coaches, and that wherever he goes, he would have been an instant perfect fit. No, Eric Bieniemy would have struggled in Houston too, I imagine. But when it comes to what the team needed. You probably needed somebody more like Eric Bieniemy than you did David Culley. And sure, you could say yes, David Culley has 27 years of NFL experience. He's widely respected by his co by the coaches and the players. He brings people together, and that is a good reason to take David Culley. But again, uh, the lack of coordinator experience and um, really kind of just I don't I don't know. I feel like 
even even if David Culley ends up being the right person for the job in the end, you know, the the far reaching to go and get him when you really kind of just need a, a big name to tie everything together to keep the remaining of what the franchise is uh, 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 right now. I, I don't think Cully was the right hire in that aspect, you know. <sighs> it's incredible to me that Eric and, and you know, sure. I, I, I was thinking about just avoiding this because it, it gets t- brought up so often in the media. Uh, but race definitely brings a, it brings a, a plate to the table here as well. Eric Bieniemy is a black coach. David Coley is a black coach. But, you know, the fact that multiple white men were hired over Eric Bieniemy when Eric Bieniemy is more than qualified. He's got more experience than a lot of these guys that did get jobs this offseason. I did have I did have Eric Bieniemy's coaching resume somewhere uh, in my notes, but um, he's he's been a coordinator for about fourteen seasons. So it's not like it's not like you know a, a situation in which David Cole is clearly the more experienced person. Now, obviously, thirteen years more experience is a lot more experience, but fourteen years of experience from Bieniemy's side is nothing to scoff at. It's a lot of experience. Um, I, I'm just, I, I guess the point of this segment is that I, I'm just dumbfounded that Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a head coaching job. Uh, regardless of whoever went to Houston, they would have had a horrible time. It's probably got to be the most unappealing head coaching job in the history of the NFL, at least in modern history. And he, and Bieniemy would have struggled. Cully might struggle. And who knows, he might be the, the guy for the job. But I just, I, I feel like. Um, that I, I was so, I was just so sure that Bianime was going to get the Texans job, uh, that, uh, I, David Coley, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it seems, it seems like a, it seems like a stretch to me. Definitely. It definitely wasn't the right move to, uh, an last ditch effort to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston. I can tell you that much. Switching gears here to the, the Miami heat. Uh, the Miami heat have been having a rough go of it this season. They've lost their fifth straight game, this time in, in an 18-point comeback uh, to a Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Patrick Beverly-less Clippers teams. And the Heat are now 6-12 and on the season. They've been playing some really pathetic basketball. And the team that surprised everybody and emerged as one of the best teams in the, in the, uh, the NBA this past season are now... 13th in the Eastern Conference and struggling to find their way. And everybody's wondering why. You know, everybody thought that, wow, this team has a lot of young developing players. And if they're already in the finals at this point, they surely will be finals contenders next season as they continue to develop and get better. And that really just hasn't been the case with the Miami Heat. They've really struggled this season for, you know, reasons that could be uh, could be any number of things, to, to be truthful with you. And people like to debate on what that is, but the reality is is that it's probably a combination of a lot of things. And the more and more I see the Heat play, the more I I think that it's just the fact that they're not playing good defense at all. We'll get into some of the stats here later, but it's really a combination of things as to why the Heat are performing so poorly. What you know, what is wrong with the Miami Heat? You know, originally I thought it was just the fact that they were tired. I mean, you get in comparison to the four months off minimum that you would get. Say, if you play in the finals every single season in the NBA, you get four months of an off season before you have to start back up. 
And that's if you make the finals. You know, teams that don't make the playoffs, teams that, you know, get bounced early in the playoffs, they have six to seven months, um, or, or excuse me, five to seven months of an offseason. This season, the, the Miami Heat only got two months of an offseason. That's not sufficient rest for the amount of basketball being played in that time span. Um, so I'm thinking, hey, you know, maybe the Miami Heat are just tired, they're gassed. The finals ended on October 11th, and the new season started on December 23rd, I believe. So again, not not a, a, a long turnaround for the NBA this season. But, you know, the more and more I look around the league, it's like, well, that's not really much of an excuse if they're tired because all the teams that, out of all the teams that participated in the bubble, the Heat have the worst record out of all of them um, at 6-12. and 12. The, only, the only team that participated in the bubble, um, at least, especially in the Eastern Conference, that has a worse record than the Heat are the Wizards at 3-11. and 11. And there are some other Western Conference teams that have about the same record as the Heat, but the Heat have the worst record out of pretty much every single team that participated in the bubble. And even more so, the four teams that co- that competed in the conference finals for both the Eastern and Western Conference, they have better records than the Heat as well. The Lakers are 14 and 6, the Nuggets are 11 and 7, the Celtics are 10 and 7, and then there's the Heat, which are way under 500 at 6 and 12. So, I don't know how much of an excuse being tired actually is. So, you know, originally I thought, "Hey, maybe they're just tired." And sure, I'm I'm sure that fatigue definitely is playing a factor, but it's not the first fact. It's not the most important factor. And it's not the biggest factor. The Heat have also been without their two best players on the team, arguably. Um, let me excuse me. Let me change that. They've been out. Went been without two out of the three of their best players. Bam Adebayo uh, has been playing pretty much every single game this season, and he is their newly uh, extended young star. Uh, at the center position. So they've been without two out of the three of their best players on the court. They've gone 10 straight games without Jimmy Butler. And prior to last night, they had gone seven straight games without Tyler Hero. Butler has missed 12 out of the team's 18 games this season. And even last night, the Heat were without Avery Bradley, Andre Iguodala, Goran Dragic, uh, and company. So a, a big portion of their bench has also been in and out sporadically. Uh, they've been relying a lot on their two-way contract players, uh, Gabe Vincent and um, uh, Mark Strokes, I think his name is. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But even so, a lot of other teams have also been dealing with their stars and their bench players coming in and out of the lineup. I think the Heat have definitely been one of the teams that have been affected the most by this, obviously being 10 games without Jimmy Butler, 7 without Hero, and of course Jimmy Butler has missed all those games previously. And, you know, a lot of your free agency acquisitions or retains like Miles Leonard, uh, Avery Badley, he's missed a couple of games. Andre Iguodala has been in and out. And some of these haven't just been health and safety protocols. Some of them have been legitimate injuries. So, you know, really, it's just been Bam Adebayo for the most of the season. And as good as Bam Adebayo is, he can't get it done by himself, especially as a big man. Now, there are dominant big men in the league. Anthony Davis, obviously, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I don't know if you classify Kevin Durant as a big man. I mean, he's tall, but obviously he's a wing player. There are some pretty dominant big men in the league, but the the, the dominant majority of players that are considered superstars and, and, and world-class players typically play in the front court. 
uh, or excuse me, they play in the backcourt at small forward shooting guard point guard positions. So, you know, it, it's very hard to dominate in today's NBA at the power forward and the center position. So even though Bam Adebayo is a fantastic player and he's been playing pretty much every single game, it's hard for you to win games when you're feeding through the post all the time in a league that prioritizes volume shooting, three-point shooting uh, specifically. And, of course, you know, there's also COVID. Uh, but every team is dealing with these inconsistencies, as I said, uh, this, the NBA health and safety protocols. So it really begs the question, how much of a problem is it if the problem is also affecting other teams? COVID really is one of the things that is definitely impacting the Miami Heat. It's just not one of the things that you would prioritize as saying what's wrong with the Heat. Because COVID is affecting every single uh, NBA team. The, re the real crux of the problem with the Miami Heat is simply that they are just not playing well at all, uh, offensively and defensively. Um, Duncan Robinson seeing a downturn from three-point percentage. He's gone from 44% to 40%, even though they're shooting about the uh, about the same shooting percentage overall from three-point range as they were last year. Duncan Robinson is shooting uh, worse, which is affecting them a little bit. Tyler Hero is experiencing a bit of a sophomore slump. Hasn't looked great apart from a 30-point performance against the uh, Washington Wizards, but again, if you if if you watch a lot of basketball, you'll know that the Heat really struggled again in that game against the Wizards. They need to score close to 130 points to beat what is considered by most to be the worst team in the league. Uh, overall, you know the team is still like 34% from from three point range, as I said. Um, field goal percentage is fine. They're they're still doing reasonably well when it comes to two point uh, field goal percentage, but. The team overall is taking and missing more three-pointers, up 5% in three-point attempts from last year at this point, and taking 9% less two-point shots. So they're throwing up more threes. Uh, they're they're missing less, or they're, excuse me, they're missing more three-point shots, and that is uh, one of the reasons why the offense isn't gelling as well. But they're also turning the ball over exponentially more. They're up 16.8% in turnovers, and the Heat are the second worst team in the league in turnovers. But it's really also, you know, that's fine. The, 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 the offense for the Heat last season wasn't anything incredibly special uh, to begin with. It was really their defense and their energy, the grittiness that the Heat played with that enabled them to go to the finals, and that just isn't anywhere to be seen this season. Uh, the Heat are the last in the league in total rebounds. They're 27th in steals, and they're 28th in blocks. And uh, that's not good, obviously. So, you know, when, in conclusion, if you ask me what's wrong with the NBA Heat, Nick, tell me what's wrong with the Heat. In conclusion, out of all the combination of things that we talked about, the team is without Jimmy Butler, who is their vocal leader. He's their tone setter on defense. He's the best player on the team. Maybe one and two with Bam Adebayo. It depends on who you ask. I think Jimmy Butler uh, is probably the better player on the team. He's certainly the more experienced player on the team. The team was without their tone setter and vocal leader, Jimmy Butler. Um, you're not practicing consistently with the same guys every single day. COVID's an issue, but it's an issue with everybody. The team is shooting way too many threes for a team that is not good at shooting uh, that is not good at shooting three pointers specifically. And the defensive intensity that made the Miami Heat fi a finals surprise last season is not there. It's nowhere to be found. And that in of itself is why the Heat are struggling this season. And sure, there is time to get it going and time to turn it around. But the reality is, is that the, inconsistencies, in the inconsistencies 
that are provided by the coronavirus are not going to go away. People are going to be in, people are going to be out. It's more of a fundamental fundamental issue. It's a more of a coaching issue. I don't think necessarily Coach Spolstra is coaching the team poorly, um, but the defense needs to improve. I think defense is something that gets better when you have chemistry with everybody, and if you're not practicing with the same people, your defense is going to suffer. But again, I don't consider COVID to be enough an excuse as to why the Heat are playing this way. Again, I think Jimmy Butler being out is the main crux of the problem, but it's not all on Jimmy Butler. The Heat just have to play better defense. The Heat are not the best shooting team in the world. They're not going to light you on fire. Obviously, they do have the capacity to light you on fire with Tyler Hero, uh, Duncan Robinson, and Bam Adebayo's jump shot is coming along really nicely. But it's the defense that makes the Miami Heat who they are. And as I said earlier, last in the league in total rebounds, 27th in steals, 28th in blocks. They're not playing defense. They're not going to win games. And that's just the way that it is. And finally, to end the show today, uh, some more basketball. Bradley Beal has been in the news recently for the NBA as Bradley Beal was seen soaking on the sidelines in a loss to the New Orleans Pelicans early in the week. And Bradley Beal is extremely frustrated in Washington. When asked by a reporter, are you frustrated? Are you irritated with the way things are going? His response is, is the sky blue? Which I thought that was a really great response. It was probably one of the most um, authentic ways that he could have handled that situation. Um, I love that response. Is the sky blue? And as he should be. Bradley Beal signed a two-year, uh, $47 million extension with the Wizards. I, either I think it was last year. And everybody was like, ugh, that's a bad idea. And this is why that's a bad idea. So a lot of people are probably like, I have no sympathy for Bradley Beal. Uh, he did this to himself. And really, Bradley Beal is a case of when loyalty screws you over. Uh, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of debate, especially with the recent NBA. It's like, where do you draw the line between doing what's best for you as a player and being loyal to your franchise? Especially since franchises have the ability to trade you on the second you know, loyalty. Loyalty is a big, big uh, pop word, I guess. I don't know what pop word is, but uh, it, it's a big word in today's NBA. Loyalty is something that comes out a lot. And Bradley Beal has been loyal to a fault with the Washington Wizards to the point where he's in his ninth season. The Wizards, the, the Wizards have done jack-ish with uh, the team while he's been a part of the of the wizard uh, of the wizards and he's been one current uh, increasingly one of the most underrated players in the NBA today especially at the shooting guard position. So, you know, he's frustrated but he's still dedicated to the Washington Wizards at least until the season is over then he probably potentially would like to explore a trade and of course as the March 15th trade deadline uh, increases and, and approaches, he might also consider and reconsider his position uh, with the Wizards and ask for a trade then. So, and this is this is reaching far into the future, but everybody else is doing it, so why not me too? Uh, where where would Bradley Beal be a good fit for? What's a great trade destination for Bradley Beal? What team what team should make a trade for Bradley Beal? And my mind instantly went to the New Orleans Pelicans, the team that kicked the Wizards' butt the earlier uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, I think that Bradley Beal and the Pelicans would be a great fit. Because Bradley Beal has one of the rare mindsets in the NBA. Again, Bradley Beal is loyal to a fault. New Orleans is a small market team that thrives, lives and dies based on players that have a lot of loyalty. 
you know, you have the players that chase rings in big markets like L.A., Chicago, Miami, New York, Toronto even. Uh, And then you have the smaller, you know, more niche markets that dwell on players that have loyalty, that want, that enjoy a grind, that enjoy, you know, some of the smaller, quieter things in life. And Washington, D.C. is is a big city, but it's kind of a small basketball city. Um, And I, I just think, wow, Bradley Beal, for what Bradley Beal is, loyal to a fault, he'd be perfect with the New Orleans Pelicans. And the New Orleans Pelicans have a lot of talent that I think the Wizards would be interested in. Uh, not to mention some leftover draft picks from the Anthony Davis trade that happened uh, two years ago at this point. So... You know, the New Orleans, I think, would probably be an ideal trading spot for Bradley Beal. I also thought Miami would be uh, a great destination for Beal, but with how the Heat are playing, as we just discussed in the previous segment, I don't know that their trade value for those players are necessarily going up at this point. I think it's only trending downward. So, unfortunately, that might make them miss out on a potential Bradley Beal sweepstakes. Again, there, there have been reports, you know, that you know, Bradley Beal is not interested in a trade and that teams aren't asking for trades with Beal. That could change pretty quickly, uh, depending on what happens. I mean, look what happened with Deshaun Watson in the NFL. I mean, that trade, or that, that rift in the relationship between Watson and the Texans happened literally overnight. Um. But for New Orleans, there's still so much capital left over from the from the Anthony Davis trade that they have assets that I think the Wizards would be interested in, and it's a city and it's an environment that would work well with Beal. Beal would be a veteran player on a team that has a lot of exciting young talent, and I think that's just really exciting. That's a lot of the reason for why I think Bradley Beal would want to go to the Pelicans and why the Pelicans should be interested in Beal. Uh, you have the Lakers' first-round pick this year. You have, or or, maybe, or perhaps maybe that's next year. I, I, there, there, so there's a protected first round pick and there's an unprotected first round pick. I think the unprotected first round pick is in 2022, which would actually be more beneficial for the Wizards, considering that Beal, for currently, hasn't shown no interest in being traded. So the 2022 unprotected first round, they have a 2021 protected first round pick uh, from the Lakers as well. They have multiple second round picks, and then they also have a lot of exciting young players that they can move, potentially like a Josh Hart, Alonzo Ball. Um, Alonzo Ball has been in trade rumors recently, so that would make a lot of sense. I think they are trying to get out Alonzo Ball out of uh, New Orleans, especially because they have Eric Bledsoe at the point guard position currently, and he's doing fine. Um, But could you imagine... And and this this just made me smile. This sounds like an exciting young basketball team when you put it all together. Could you imagine a starting lineup with Brandon Ingram, Bradley Beal, Zion Williamson, Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe as the starting five? That would be utterly exciting to me. Uh, and you you know you also have some exciting young players. Willie Hernan Gomez is a, is a nice role playing piece. You know, that would be a really exciting young lineup. Now, the Pelicans have a little bit of a cap space problem, and that's really the only thing that's... If if this trade were to happen today, that is the one thing that would be preventing the Pelicans from making this trade because uh, the Pelicans have a lot of of contracts that are expiring rookie contracts. So um, they are going to have some cap space hell to deal with. Uh, They signed Steven Adams for, or or, or the trade happened to get Steven Adams. I can't remember if he was signed or traded. Regardless, he's got a big contract. Um, Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo Ball, all of those guys, they're going to have uh, 
expiring contracts soon that they are going to want some more money. They're going to want to get paid, even though not ne- they haven't necessarily been the best prospects in the NBA recently. Um, Brandon Ingram had a great season last season. Lonzo Ball has been kind of mad the entire way through. Josh Hart has been mad the entire way through. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, the Pelicans training way Drew Holiday at the beginning of the season. There's a, there's a lot of cap issues to work work in and out and around with the Pelicans that would prevent them from making a play with Bradley Beal. Um, it depends on really what the Wizards would want. If they want players that would help the Pelicans out a lot, if they want draft picks, eh, that might make the Pelicans a little bit less attractive of a trade destination for Wizards uh, and Bradley Beal. But just at face value, that sounds like a good landing spot for Bradley Beal. I'm interested uh, to hear what you guys think. I know some of you are bigger basketball fans than I am. I'm very interested to hear and see what your thoughts are, where you would like to see Bradley Beal. Um, and who knows? You, you, you can never rule out some of those other teams that, you know, some big market teams that would want to make a play for somebody like this. But uh, for what Bradley Beal is, for who he is as a person and who he is as a player, and what the Wizards would want in exchange for Beal, I think the Pelicans are a really good place to start. And uh, that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being with me here today. Um, bit of a bit of a fiery opening to the show, but once we calmed down, once we got out all the anger, it was really a fun show. Uh, I appreciate you all being here for episode 10. We're already at episode 10 of the show. It's been almost a month. It's going to be, well, no, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I think there's like 11 more days before it's been a month of shows, but it's been a blast so far. So thank you so much for you know spending the time with me, for listening to the show, for watching the videos on YouTube. I will always thank you guys for that. But uh, have a great weekend, everybody. I'm not sure if I'm going to have a show tomorrow. We'll see what there is to talk about. But if not, if I don't see you tomorrow on Saturday, I will see you all on Monday. Thank you so much for listening and watching, ladies and gentlemen. Stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.